This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You might assume we're both good at presenting to a live audience because of this podcast. But at the end of the day, when we record, it really feels like we're just talking to one another. Presenting information in person in a formal setting to a large audience is something that still makes us really nervous. To prepare for a live speaking event we're hosting together, we turn to our masterclass subscription to not only refine our presentation skills, but to build our confidence in a different kind of public speaking capacity. Between Robin Roberts, Hillary Clinton, and Kevin Hart's expertise, our confidence skyrocketed. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiate with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or plan your dream wedding with celebrity event planner Mindy Wise, Masterclass has you covered. There are over 200 classes to pick from, with new classes added every month, like our latest aha moments from Robin Roberts' effective and authentic communication class that we watched before our event presentation. She taught us how to establish a genuine connection with the audience from the start. I'll always be a little nervous before presenting, but Masterclass prepared us in a way that dialed my nerves down and gave me tools to ground myself. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Get 50% off right now at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Hi there. You're about to listen to one of the original Shrink Chicks episodes. We think it's so amazing that you're here, but we do have to warn you that what might not be so amazing is the sound quality of this episode. We started this podcast in Emily, my bedroom back in 2019 with two really bad mics, one mediocre recording device, and zero idea about what we were doing. If you are sensitive to sound quality, we encourage you to check out season two and beyond where we learned a little bit more about podcasting and also we just outsourced our audio. Thanks so much for being here and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. We're so excited today. We have a very special guest. Which we're kind of obsessed with. Obsessed with, and we're so excited <laughs> to talk to her and ask her questions. She's going to help us understand so many different things um, about physiology, and um, we'll have her introduce her, herself, her right? So Krista, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. That's a lot to live up to in an intro. Krista so. <laughs> really is that good, everyone. She's phenomenal. Chris and I are colleagues. Um, I asked her to come on. She, I know that I'm sure you get tons of requests. So thank you for coming on a shrink thank today. Thank you. So tell us, tell everyone about yourself. I am a professor of anatomy and physiology at Moravian College in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Um, I just joined the faculty there this past fall to help develop their um, doctor of physical therapy program, which will be brand new. So I'll be the gross anatomy teacher, you know, doing dissection with students and teaching them everything they need to know about anatomy. I'll also be teaching their pathophysiology and their neuroscience courses. And then for our undergrad majors, doing the, you know, standard anatomy and physiology course series. 
Wow. I was at, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was at, um, I was at Drexel University for seven years before that. So I went from a huge research institution to the small private liberal arts college. Um, so totally different worlds, but, you know, really equally enjoyed both so far. And so Krista, I was um, Googling you before this because of course. Oh no. <laughs> but, How many, do I still have a hot pepper on Rate My Professors? Oh my God, so wait, <laughs> that's what I was going to say is I didn't see the hot pepper. Is that, wait, is that, no, you have to, oh, that it means you're hot. So that's what I was going to say is on Rate, on Rate My Professor, you got rave reviews. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> I, thought no, maybe. Like, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't looked at it in years because honestly, it is not good for your mental health. Yeah, to look at that it's got to be so stressful <laughs> as a professor to look those up. Yeah, I, I think to, to have, I would hate to Google myself and see like random wait. people's opinions of me, which we sometimes do. Yes, find. yes. But like yeah. on the platform, I don't know, man. In, in undergrad, I used Rate My Professor. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, was that bullying? Yes. Like, is that cyberbullying? And uh, I'll tell you, there, there was a really interesting, um, basically this tool, and I'll send it to you later if you're interested, that came out last year from research about the bias against women in um, course evaluations. And it was incredible. Like you could Google or type in a word like, and, and basically see how often it came up for men versus women oh my God. in evaluations. Wow. So like, you know, like even um, like something like snarky or unhelpful or, um, you know, rude or things like that. And it was, it's ridiculous. Like wow. you could spend, I spend hours and it is so clear, you know, that, the that women are expected to be more maternal and more helpful and more kind and more supportive. And when men are quote unquote hard on students, very often it's like, well, he just, they, they know what's good for me, you know? Wow. Oh, so that's, that's an extra layer of nerve wracking in my profession. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and also like, that is so funny that I don't doubt that at all. a while ago, you know, it's so like every so often I Google myself. It's don't do it people. Bad um, choice. <laughs> yeah. and, and somebody had, okay. So I bring my dog to the office for a lot of the time. I don't know if I probably haven't talked about this on the show before. So for a lot of the time, my dog is in the office with me and I had Googled myself and it was somebody who like wrote on a fucking red, like a subreddit being like, oh, I'm looking for a therapist that has a dog in the room. And somebody was like, oh, Emily Beerley at the Westchester Therapy Group has her dog. It was someone in Delaware. And then somebody else wrote, hey, I copy and pasted my bio and was like, oh, she says she has the privilege of working with you. Like, what bullshit? Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh God! Like this guy's like ripping apart my bio. Oh, He's never seen me. He has no idea who I am. It's like trolling. It's like and, and just because I had written on it. Oh, it's a privilege to work with you. Thank you for like reading my bio. And he like ripped me to shreds. And my initial thing was like, oh my God, I like was like got all hot and I got very she anxious. She sent it to me. I sent it to Jen. I'm like <laughs> flipping out. And then I'm like, oh my God, why am I upset about this? It's a random dude on Reddit. Like I can't imagine you know, what other people, like, with, like, celebrities and stuff, yes. you must have just developed such thick skin. Yeah. Which, Krista, you must have, I mean, even with Ray by Professor, you had to, like, develop a certain type of thick skin when students do evals and stuff, right? You give someone a bad grade they don't like. Yeah, I mean, I, I still, you know, to be honest, still might sometimes need a, a cocktail before reading my <laughs> annual course evaluations. Um, but it, it does take time because you have to set your you have to set up now, or, or sorry, I have to put myself in the mindset of this is all useful information. Oh, this yeah, is not right. Did my best. And, but they bother you the most when you know you didn't do your best. Yeah. Or, 
or couldn't, you know, couldn't even less so, but when, when, whenever you have those times where you know that you didn't handle something well, or you know, you could have handled it better, like then getting negative feedback, just like it, it, it's, it's awful because, you know, to some degree, you know, that they had a point and that. Absolutely. It. Well, it, and it hits, it hits on like an insecurity for you. Um, and it's interesting because I feel like whenever, you know, anyone gets negative feedback that we only focus on the negative as opposed to oh, yeah. on, like, oh, any God. of the you positive have, like, yeah, like 90 positive reviews, but that one student, you're like, I have to think about this forever. Yes. Yes. Like this will <laughs> yeah. haunt me oh, yeah. for the rest of my life. Yeah, that one. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's the one that you didn't, and especially if you didn't know something was going on and they choose to share it on an anonymous course evaluation, because then it just triggers feeling powerless that something yeah. happened that you had, that you could have done something about and weren't given the opportunity to. So not to totally sidebar, but that's why I always try to be really honest with friends, family, students, coworkers about if something's bothering me, because then they have an opportunity to, to know that and, and to do something about it. And I'm denying them that if I you know, keep it to myself. And Chris, that brings up, I don't know if anyone has read the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Yes. Have you read it yet, Krista? Or do you no, know no, I've never heard of that. Um, so she just wrote up this really good thing and it talks about avoidance is a peacekeeper, but honesty is a peacemaker. Mm. So even though like avoidance might make us feel better in the moment, right? Actual honesty keeps peace within ourselves longer. Oh, and I thought that was a nice quick way to put it. So I don't know how the fuck we got on this tangent, but what this tangent <laughs> yeah. is, I guess is apparently be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We get on tangents. Well, first, um, I'm so curious, Krista, like, how did you get into this? Like, what made you choose this career? <laughs> Long and winding path. Um, I, I always knew I needed to, I, I always thought I was going to be a healthcare professional in some, to some capacity. I, I was obsessed with the human body. I think it's the most, I mean, we all have one. It's like, why that's not part of gen ed, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, to, to the, like, anatomy and physiology. Um, I, I was just fascinated with how the body worked. I always was. So, you know, when I changed my mind 25,000 times in high school and college about what I wanted to be, um, you know, what, what made, what was really clear to me when I entered college, I remember, and this has always been in like my personal statements, I asked my advisor, how do I stay here for the rest of my life? Like I loved college so much. I liked that I wasn't tied down to a desk all day, that I could choose what I wanted to study. Like I, I felt it like it was the first time because I grew up in very rural central Pennsylvania that like I was meeting, I mean, this is incredible, but you know, I graduated high school in 2001. I had never, I had never been friends with someone that was a different race, religion, wow. you know, um, because no one lived there. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't. Wait, how wasn't, many people did you graduate with? Sixty. Holy wow, <laughs> it's a Catholic school. Um, wow. So you know, I had never gone to school or or in, interacted with someone, you know, more than just out in public that wasn't a white Catholic or Christian in, in some degree. So, you know, it just it was so wonderful to, you know, have your mind opened in so many ways mm -hmm. and, um, and really see people believe in you in, in ways that I hadn't had before in that environment. So I, I really had a sense that I wanted to be a professor. 
but you know, of what was really yet to be determined. There were also no, really no female professors where I went to college, except for like the one that taught phys ed to the health science majors. Um, So I I knew that I loved college, but like it really wasn't realistic for me or something that I thought I could do until I was getting my master's degree and met an amazing woman that came to guest speak. So then I knew that I wanted to be a professor, but at the time I was getting my degrees in um, exercise science and exercise physiology. And when I did my PhD work and got to student teach, then it was like so solidified. And I, they ended up having a room in anatomy and physiology. And over time, you know, what I realized is that I just love the way that the human body works. Just doing exercise science was probably not only not healthy for me, but also um, way too limiting. So I took a bunch of courses in like pathophysiology in the nursing department uh, and, you know, really just got my got my feet wet with teaching that subject. And um, when I applied to Drexel, that was the position that was open. So I really learned by, you know, learned by doing a a lot. Um, I I had never been in a gross anatomy lab until the first year I started teaching at Drexel eight, you know, eight years ago. And I totally learned gross anatomy um, by doing this training program, but also just mentorship with the people that were there. So I never could have imagined this is where I would end up. You know, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up to some degree. (laughs) I think we all feel that way, but that's just because I love to learn and love to help people learn how to learn. I am thrilled that the weather is finally warming up here in Philly. I went to switch out my closet the other day from my fall winter wear to my spring summer wear and noticed that I very much needed a refresh. So thank goodness for Quince that allows me to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I refresh my closet with the high-waisted linen shorts that come in multiple colors and patterns, the comfiest cotton tees, and my latest favorite, the smocked mini dress. And don't miss out on the accessories. Quince has the coolest sunglasses and 14 karat gold jewelry to complete any look. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, making me feel even better about my purchases. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash shrinkchicks. A really fun fact about me that you might not know is that if I let my hair dry natural, it is a frizzball mess, which is one of the many reasons I absolutely love pros. I truly never thought that I would be able to embrace my natural hair texture. Ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Less frizzy hair, yes, but beyond that too. My hair is shinier, healthier, and so much more manageable. Filming the podcast every week makes checking out my hair unavoidable, and I have felt so much more confident on camera thanks to pros. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do. The custom shampoo and conditioner combo, plus the hydrating leave-in conditioner and hair oil keeps the frizz at bay. It also makes for the smoothest blowout. People keep asking me if I got my hair 
cut or went to the salon, which is, of course, the highest compliment. Pros isn't just better for you, it's better for the planet. They're certified B Corp cruelty free and the first and only carbon neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. I used this feature when I moved to my temporary house in New Jersey, back to my house house post construction project in Pennsylvania. Environmental factors like water source is something that pros takes into consideration with their customization. So it was very cool that I had the ability to update my location. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin, and they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. So you get a free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. That's P-R-O-S-E.com slash shrinkchicks. So I, I love, Krista, I love that you started with saying, like, I knew I wanted to be in this academic stand. I knew I wanted to be. We have people all the time that write in and say, how... I don't know what my passion is and I don't know where yeah. I want to be. And to talk about, sometimes it's about the environment first. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't know the details of exactly maybe what we would want to teach or what direction, but I know what environment has um, motivated me mm-hmm. and inspired me. And it sounds like that campus for you was it? So, so has it been oh, hard yeah. moving everything online? I really like teaching online. Okay. I, I have, I've done it for basically every summer. I think, um, yeah, I really like, like I'm an extrovert. I love having an audience, you know, for sure. But that doesn't mean my students are learning anything. So, you know, when I have feel like I had a great lecture that could like, I could be doing it to stuffed animals. It doesn't mean that anything has happened for the students. Right. So, um, online, it becomes so much more about how do you give them the resources that they need to learn it more so than, you know, watch the show I'm putting on. And I get to know my students so much better online because you end up meeting at times that are mutually convenient rather than, you know, the five minutes after a lecture and they're running off to their next class. So I haven't had any problem with it. Um, I, you know, of course I miss my coworkers and I miss my campus and, um, you know, miss the face-to-face interaction, but I've rolled with it. I like, that's my MO in life. Absolutely. Well, like (laughs) we all have, you know, with this switch to everything being virtual. Um, But, you know, one of the reasons why we thought it'd be so helpful to bring you on is that, um, you know, we recognize with clients, with ourselves, with people in general, that like the more that we can understand like the physiological causes behind some of our emotions or some of the reasons why we might be feeling certain things, that it helps us to um, like depersonalize it in a way or like deal Mm -hmm. with it um, in a different way that if we can like blame it on something else, um, it almost allows us to like relinquish some of that control um, Mm -hmm. and kind of accept it for what it is. Um, whereas like dealing with our emotions is much, feels much more complicated than dealing with like a headache, for example, oh, yeah. right? If we have a headache, we're just like, okay, it's a headache. You I'll know, like this water, happens, I'll, I'll drink some water. But if we have anxiety, we start to panic about the fact that we have anxiety. Like it's not something that we should be having that. And yeah. so I think that like really understanding the physiological causes of things, um, helps us to normalize it too, to know that definitely. Like, this is a very normal experience. Yeah. Well, anxiety is, isn't it defined as fear of fear? (laughs) So there's not actually anything going on. It's the, it's the fear of experiencing fear. So it's all that anticipate, it's all that anticipation. Um, 
you know, so in terms of understanding you know, the physiology of anxiety, it, it's definitely very, very complicated, of course. But, um, you know, I know that in the in the Q&A, you know, one, one of your, um, I guess your, your listeners, clients, followers, whatever you want to call it, all of the above, right, ideally, <laughs> yes. um, you know, talked about like, that you could feel those physical symptoms of anxiety, like even when everything seems fine, like you're mentally in a good place and you just have those physical symptoms. And I thought that that was such a great question because, or thing to point out, to show, um, first of all, that how the body adapts over time to emotions that we're not doing a great job regulating Mm -hmm. and how long it takes, not only for those adaptations to happen, but how long it then will take them to go away. So, you know, um, you know, I liken it. So that, well, let's just go into the question. Wait, so the question she's referring to, which is a phenomenal question is somebody wrote in, I can always feel the physical symptoms of anxiety when I'm triggered by something, but then there's other times when I'm in a mentally good place and out of nowhere, the physical symptoms show up. Can you speak to the physiology of that? So that's what you're referring to here, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, and God, I went, and I'll be totally honest, like I've gone through this myself. I've spent on and off throughout my life battling anxiety. You know, not, I was never diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder, but when something ha- like certain things have come up or happened, you know, whether they were brand new or reminded me of something from childhood or something. And then, you know, I'd be very stuck in that anxiety cycle. And, and even when the situation was, you know, quote, quote unquote, resolved, the physical stuff would take a while to dissipate. So, you know, what, I think it's really a great question because then what can happen is that then you end up having anxiety over the fact that you're having anxiety. Yeah. So, (laughs) so when like, just on a physiologic basis, when you're thinking about the feelings that you have, the physical manifestations of anxiety, you know, racing heart, right. That's, that's so common. The um, like feeling, especially when you're laying down, there's nothing more annoying when you're trying to go to sleep than like feeling a pulse in your face, yeah. like in your chest, in your hands. Um, it's too distracting. Um, like sweating, feeling flushed, mm. hyper awareness or hyper vigilance, um, GI discomfort. All of that's happening because of the activation of the sympathetic nervous system, which, you know, I don't want to overwhelm people with language, but, you know, you've got a division of your nervous system that we are in conscious control over, right? Like, I want to go pick up that pen, you bend over and do it. Yeah. Then there's the division that handles your internal organs, right? And, and controls everything that you're not normally consciously aware of going on. So you don't have to tell your heart to beat, right? It's happening. And you've got of that division, you've got the one that's responsible for um, fight or flight, and then the one that is nicknamed like rest and digest, mm-hmm. or the parasympathetic nervous system, which calms you down and essentially makes your you know digestive processes happen normally, your urinary processes happen normally, healing, rest, immune function, all these things that are you know necessary for recovery and normal function. Whereas the sympathetic nervous system was designed for you to get the hell out of a situation that is threatening, but our brain doesn't know the difference between, you know, there's a tiger coming at me and my boyfriend just dumped me like, you know, or I hate to be, that's a terrible example, you know, (laughs) not not like a a modern day, (laughs) you know, whatever. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Or the feeling like someone 
more, more, more appropriately to anxiety, they might dump me, right? Because that's what anxiety really is. Yeah. You know, um, so your brain doesn't know the difference. You're going to have the same physical manifestations there. So, you know, that, and, or say you find out that you have a pop t- pop quiz, right? You, you feel all of a sudden stressed, you know, you might feel GI discomfort, all those things. So, you know, because we're champions at adaptation, our human bodies, if you continue to experience anxiety over time, gradually those pathways that drive that sympathetic response will get stronger. They'll get reinforced. They'll get faster because that's what you're essentially telling your body needs to happen. So if you continue to experience that emotional stress, your body's going to say, okay, well, then I better get faster, stronger, and more efficient at responding to that stress. So that, so, so say you, you know, whatever was causing that stress is, is fixed. It's gone. It's, you know, everything's wonderful, right? Let's make that assumption that whatever was causing you anxiety is no longer there. Well, that's not a switch that you can flip in your body. Those, your body spent all that literal energy, you know, ATP or, and, and changing its physiology and its anatomy. That's not going to be undone. So, cause it's going to be like, why did I do all this? You know, maybe let's hang out for a little bit because and make sure that I'm not necessary anymore. So it just takes time for that to go away. And the more you recognize that and don't react to it, like the faster that will happen. Like, you know, you build, you build a muscle. We're all, there's so many people ugh, don't want to get into this, but having all this anxiety about losing their fitness during COVID, oh, right? Like your muscle is not going to atrophy overnight, right? right? It takes, you know, weeks to months to lose strength or for atrophy to occur. So in the same way, like it will take that, those, you know, nervous pathways time to atrophy and go away over time. Um, the other way that you can approach it is trying to strengthen that other division of the nervous system that what's called the parasympathetic that is responsible for calming you down. Right. So, and you can do that. And that's where things like um, talking to friends, like when you have anxiety, what do we immediately try to do? Call anybody and just rant. Right. Because yep. there's, there's soothing and relief in, you know, in talking to someone else, letting those emotions out, even if, you know, it's burdensome to the other person at times, you know, that does feel relieving that making that connection, um, you know, meditation, if you're good at it, I'm not, and I'll, you know, it's something that's difficult for me, but I can, I'll journal till when I deal with, um, when I've dealt with anxiety, insomnia related anxiety, mm-hmm. where, you know, I lose a night's sleep and that means I'm going to lose six nights of sleep. Um, I'll just, I will wake, I will lay down on the floor and journal, and then I'll wake up with my pen on my face and my <laughs> head on the journal, you know, and just scribbling, you know? Yeah. But so anything that helps you to get those thoughts out, um, you know, or things like massage, it's in, the, the power of touch is incredible. And that's not like pseudoscience, like the main nerve of the parasympathetic nervous system is the vagus nerve. And it's activated, you know, quite a bit by touch or a hug. That's why those weighted blankets are so incredible yeah. and so effective. So it, because it, it's like being swaddled again. You know, um, so working, you can work on not only eliminating and and dealing with what's causing the anxiety, but also strengthening those pathways that oppose that 
fight or flight, those mechanisms. And there's so many resources out there, you know, not to plug another podcast, but no, I, you're, I, you're welcome to. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Um, there's a wonderful podcast called the anxiety coaches podcast. Um, this woman, Gina, she's phenomenal. There's, it, there's nothing it doesn't cover both in resources to deal with anxiety, acute, prevent it in the future. Um, you know, also dealing with the roots of anxiety and it, it so humanizes it because it talks about what's going on in your brain, that it's, it's not your fault, yeah. right? That your brain, like having that, this is, might be counterintuitive, but what really helped me long-term to get ahead of anxiety and really not experience it on a regular basis anymore was appreciating what my body was doing. Yes. You know, like detaching from it and saying, okay, brain, these are these incredible circuits that you have set up, you know, because you're trying to protect me. You're trying to remove me from something stressful, you know, and I would lay in bed and like go over, you know, since I've studied neuroscience, like I would literally like diagram the pathways in my brain, like, oh, you know, I'm getting messages to my hypothalamus and that's causing release of stress hormone and blah, like, and that, uh, then I'd fall asleep, you know, doing that. Right. So, but it's also like, that is also like this self-soothing you're doing, right? right? Like yes. that's like, yeah. monologue with this, you're saying like, I'm going to develop this thing. And also I love that you're saying like, I'm going to be friends with my body. Right. I'm not yeah. mad at him. I'm not going to go against it. I'm going to normalize it and like also give it like love and self-soothing. Well, that's why right. and that and that's why I think this information is so is uh, first of all unbelievably fascinating. Jen is sitting no my mouth no one can see me. My mouth here. is wide open. <laughs> my mouth is wide open. She just keeps going Oh, <laughs> like, she's like so <laughs> I'm fascinated. I'm catching flies. My mouth is literally <laughs> But I think it's it's so fascinating and so important because we often get frustrated with ourselves for feeling anxious or for feeling depression or feeling any sort of negative emotions. Uh like why do I feel this way? You know, why you know, I'm trying to sleep. I'm so mad that I'm feeling this way. But when we get frustrated with ourselves, it makes the anxiety so much worse. So to understand that like your brain and your body is trying to protect you and it is forming right. these pathways for a very specific reason really reframes um, those that connection to your brain or that connection to your emotions. So it's I, I think this is incredible and incredibly yeah. helpful yeah. so that people yeah. can have it in a different way. I mean, the more that when you're having, if you're in the middle of an anxiety attack, like what I'd really recommend is like, try to practice gratitude as corny as that sounds like for what your body is doing and approach it with curiosity. Like imagine you're standing next to yourself and saying, huh, okay, my heart rate is elevating because that's what would deliver more blood to my skeletal muscles. So I could run away from something threatening. Okay. Well, there's nothing threatening, right? right. Everything, everything's okay, but I get it, body. That's what I've taught you for a long time that you need to do. So imagine you're just patting that little anxiety on the head, right? And saying like, okay, you know, that like, I'll, I'll let you do what your thing for right now because, but gradually we're not going to need you anymore. Like, so there's a, a technique that um, the Anxiety Coaches podcast talks about a lot that's called FLOAT. And I think that's an acronym for, for a couple of different strategies, but it's all about rather than pushing against the anxiety, like just like, imagine you're just like floating on top of it and move and going with it, right? right. I mean, 
Also crying, amazing parasympathetic nervous system release. Don't hide it or don't fight it. It will put you to sleep, <laughs> you know, when you're dealing with them. Um, it's a such incredible built-in mechanism for release of anxiety and kind of tuning down that nerve, that sympathetic nervous system. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, I always encourage crying, never hide. Absolutely. <laughs> Let the crying out. So what you're saying is like to like meet your anxiety instead, because oftentimes people tend to try to avoid it and say, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel this. I need to push it down. Right. Um, but, but it sounds like the most helpful thing. And we talk to clients about this all the time is really recognizing it and leaning into it in a way and saying, well, what's this about? What's going on yeah. here? Is, is there actually a threat here? Um, or is this just the pathways that have been formed in my brain? Right. Uh, and so, so really, you know, changing that conversation that you have with yourself. Yeah. I would also, I also wanted to say that, um, you know, in response to this question, when, you know, the, the, the um, listener, again, the, the writer uh -huh. said, like, when I'm in a mentally good place, I also want to say anxiety that's still there may, may also be telling you that there's something you're not admitting to yourself or others or, or dealing with. So you don't, you know, I, I am the champion of like, if there was one gif, I think everybody knows this gif, but to describe the way I've handled things in life is that little dog with the glasses that's typing and it says like, it's fine. And like the room's on fire <laughs> behind him. Yes, yes, that is what if I like, oh no, we're all good here. It's fine and everything's on fucking right. fire. Yes. So, it took years to know if I'm having anxiety and I know that my way that my, my, my anxiety manifests and it's always like, Oh, like I hate the way I look today or nothing feels comfortable in my, it's always physical. Like mm -hmm. nothing feels comfortable in my body. I don't like the way this looks. It's always that type of stuff, you know, from upbringing and, and culture and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But like it, it, that's a clue to me right now. Oh, I'm something's going on that right. I need to address. Nothing's wrong with me because as soon as I figure out pinpoint what that is, all those symptoms I was experiencing just disappear. Right. So, but it took so much time to realize that those feelings I'm having are the result of something and, and they aren't the reality. They aren't the truth. So, you know, I want to caution by saying like, make it, it, you may not know that something is still not to get into your, your wheelhouse too much. No. I'm not a therapist, obviously a <laughs> uh, very armchair, um, <laughs> but, um, but it may, it, it might also be telling you something feels wrong in your body. Something is against your, you know, inner belief system or whatever that might be. It's just sometimes addressing those things mean that you're, you have to turn your life upside down. And right. Yeah. You have to make a game change that's scary. Right. I love that you talked about like how it sort of manifests for you, right? So like how do my clothes feel in my body or how am I feeling myself, right? We've had this oh, before, yeah. you know, how everyone is handling this current situation. Some people are being overly productive, highly, highly functioning, right? Some people right. are under functioning. This is not about right versus wrong, but it is become this bigger thing that like it's more socially accepted and celebrated to like hustle yourself into the ground. Right? Oh, yeah. Right. Like, and we're saying it all the time, like keep working out and keep doing this and don't get off track and keep your routine and blah, 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 blah. Right. As opposed to saying like, Hey, like maybe my ability and, I, and I'm 
I'm not speaking from personal or anything no. like that. I don't say highly, <laughs> there, you know, it's definitely not something I do say highly productive <laughs> to avoid my feelings. But just because someone else's manifest as not being able to sleep or right. not being able to function doesn't mean that like you aren't going through the same things, right? So like really learning about yourself and what works for you yes. and not comparing to Tom, Dick and Harry next door. Right. Like learning your own body yes. and how you tend to react to anxiety. Um, right. it could be different for everyone, yeah, right? Absolutely. Like if you're pushing it down, might manifest in different yeah. ways. When, what Krista just even spoke to is like, you know, some of this stuff for her was informed by her childhood. Right, right. Right. So like how, like in my family being very productive was celebrated, I would say. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right? So like for me, <laughs> it's not like a thing that I do, my dad owns his own business. He was always busy. So me, I like do everything into my business. Like, like modeled for you. I, yeah, absolutely. Right. So like, what did I see? growing up, right? What was modeled for me? And then what have I brought into my life now? Absolutely. So Krista, we should yeah. ask you more questions because we could talk about <laughs> <you're> <laughs> unbelievable. like once again, my mouth is going to drop wide open every no. time I talk about something. Um, okay. So let's get into the next question, which, you know, I know you touched on a little bit, um, but we didn't speak specifically to this. Um, how does cortisol slash stress physically affect the body? Yeah. So love this question because I want to do a public service by saying, stop reading about it on the internet. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, like cortisol has become the, the, the root of all maladies, right? Like it's the reason, it's, the, it's, it's the reason why, yeah, yeah. And it's not that like anything, it, it comes because, you know, there is a lot of truth to it, but it's been oh my God, the way that it's been co-opted by like the diet industry about like creating diets that lower it or, oh my God, it's, oh, yeah. yeah. nothing is going to elevate it more than even having to think about that. But, um, is there anything, <laughs> but is there anything diet culture in the diet industry doesn't get in on? No. Like, they are, they're like, a, <laughs> it's amazing. They can hop on any fucking boat. Anything. You know, I haven't Googled this, but I will bet my life on the fact that there's a COVID diet out there. I'm oh, sure. Well, I'm <laughs> Please, nobody. Not to, not, to, not to bring up the, you know, <laughs> I was just about to say the C word. But <laughs> 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 um, uh, yeah, no one wants to talk about it. Um, yeah, we want this podcast episode to be timeless. So yeah. you know, <laughs> that out. Um, yeah, so absolutely. But you know, there's, first of all, cortisol is an absolutely phenomenal hormone. I mean, if you think about over-the-counter anti-inflammatories, it's hydrocortisone. Like, it, like it's an incredible hormone. It is, it's an anti-inflammatory that our body makes. So we, we release it in response to stress. And that doesn't just mean physical stress, like, you know, like, illness, but also every time we exercise, obviously to varying amounts, depending on the intensity of that, but absolutely to emotional and psychological stress as well, right? So anything cause, any type of stress causes cortisol release. Now we have such this negative view of stress, like it's always negative, but stress is how change occurs right. for the, you know, for, for better or worse. So we need physical you know, psychological, emotional stress in order to, you know, create change that we need and we want, you know, for our bodies. So, you know, in the short term, it, you know, does these incredible things. It suppresses inflammation, which obviously we want, you know, depending, unless you're trying to heal, right? Um, but in the short term, it helps to control inflammation. It helps to improve 
the use, and this isn't a diet thing, this is purely physiology, it improves how our body's use of fat instead of glucose for energy, only so that we have more glucose readily available because it's a faster, more efficient way for the brain and the nervous system to get the energy it needs. So, you know, that's where the dieting industry kind of gets, gets got involved. But essentially, like if our body is perceiving stress, it thinks we need more blood glucose available, right? So, but long-term, if that continues, so if it goes beyond just a short-term adaptation to sort of maintain, you know, the norm in your body, your homeostasis, if you remember science class, um, but long-term, it starts to be maladaptive. So, and that just means bad, right? So it starts to like create disease or exacerbate disease. And, you know, some easy things that come up are, you know, at least for, for females, it can suppress uh, function in, of the hypothalamic pituitary access. So you might have a loss or a disturbance in menstrual function. Um, and then look, gradually disturbances in thyroid function. And then ultimately like adrenal function, which is its own, which is where cortisol is produced. <laughs> so that's sort of how the order goes from at least from my what my endocrinologist has shared with me, you know, for females first goes the reproductive function because we don't need it, right? You know, second goes, um, second goes thyroid and then finally adrenal fatigue. But that's way beyond the kind of the scope here, I think what you want to know. But what, what, what happens essentially long-term with chronic stress is that either that those things that cortisol does in the short term create disease. So I said that it frees up glucose. Well, you know, we don't want chronically elevated levels of blood glucose, right? Because that could lead to insulin resistance and diabetes. Um, but when the big thing that and this is so fascinating about hormones and how it how the body adapts is that the more exposed to hormones uh, that our body are our body cells that respond to those hormones are. Feel like that was bad grammar, but Brandon, edit it. Um, <laughs> the, the more we bombard cells with hormones that they normally respond to, the more the cells start to essentially ignore the presence of that hormone. So hormones need to bind to receptors to cause changes in a cell. So the more the more prevalent that hormone is in our body, the more the cells are like, eh, all right it stops producing, you know, as many receptors for it, because imagine you're, you're that cell. It's like, well, that hormone's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. So our tissues become less sensitive to that hormone. So th that's what happens with insulin resistance, you know, and which, um, you know, le uh, can lead to type two diabetes is that the more that, you know, insulin is always around, our cells stop responding to it. And then when that happens, glucose can't move into the cells. So it stays in the blood. Wow. The same thing happens with cortisol. And like I said, cortisol is responsible for suppressing inflammation. So the more that it's elevated gradually long-term, the more that our cells aren't able to use it and suppress inflammation, which is research that was pretty recent that discovered that like basically inflammation, which is kind of responsible for so many diseases, heart disease, infectious diseases, you know, is associated with inflammation. So that's the tie of chronic stress to all these diseases is inflammation and chronic inflammation from chronic stress, which is just like 
it, it just blew my mind, you know, reading this research. So whether you're talking about immune dysfunction, heart disease, you know, depression, so many things that have inflammation at their core, that's the tie to chronic stress. Wow. So yeah, I mean, like, I sent you can read the paper if you want your jaw to fall off, you know. Like I'm mouthing wow over and over again. Yeah. Just because it's it's just incredible. And I so I was thinking while you were talking, like I can imagine someone who's who's very anxious who might be listening to this might be saying to themselves, oh no, like I'm stressed all yeah, the time. Not to create I'm more. Right. right, right. No, yeah. So, no, it's we can it's it's not like now I, I can't say that, you know, years and years and years of this haven't already done damage. Like I'd be lying if I said that, right? right? Because I mean, heart disease is something that starts developing when we're in our teens, you know, and, um, you know, gradually over time. And genetics plays a tremendous role. So how sensitive your body is to stress um, it varies from person to person, of course, and then how long you've been experiencing it. So like we all know people and I'll just go back to reproductive function because, you know, this is something I've studied a bit. And like I said, like, um, you know, just that it was like kind of the first thing to go, at least for females, you know, with chronic stress is that we all know people that, um, you know, could basically like run a marathon a week and like they get pregnant with no problem. Right. 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 Perfectly normal, right? And that you're just like, I, yeah. And I, I, cause I've listened to all your episodes. Two years and a bunch of money to have a baby. <laughs> right. Or if you look right. at some people, it's like 30 minutes a day, four days a week is, is your body perceives that as too much stress. Right. Which is like so frustrating, you know, and unfair in different ways. So, but, but, you know, aside from that, that's why we see there's so much variation, whether it's from, early life experiences, length of time experiencing stress or genetics that make it very individualized. What, and, and all that means is what you need to take care of yourself and manage stress is not one size fits all. Absolutely. And that's where like, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this and recognizing how stressed you are all the time, like, of course there's different transitions that are going to trigger stress, um, that it's very, it's normal. And as you spoke about at the beginning that, um, stress isn't, it isn't always negative. There's, there's positive things. It helps us change. Um, but if you're recognizing you have chronic stress, that you're stressed over everything, then, you know, to speak to how do you take care of yourself and how do you, how do you also think about some of the things we talked about in question one, how do you kind of, you know, fight the anxiety or recognize what's happening and lean into it, find that mindfulness um, in order to handle stress in a different way. Um, so it makes a lot of sense. This is, it was so incredibly fascinating. I'm just like, can't stop. <laughs> We're going to keep you on the phone. And, you know, it's, Will you over this podcast? Yes, no, no. It's, it's just funny because like, this is so normalized to me because this is, you know, everything I do. So I forget that most people don't know how the body works. Yeah. You know? yes. so right. So you're like my favorite audience ever right now. You know? Well, um, it's also so interesting, right? Because like goes back to this like at this core of like nature versus nurture. And everyone, oh, God, yeah. answer, right? Like we get obsessed with this idea of like the black and white thinking around it that we want there to be one exact thing. But your body can go into it. Your modeling and your childhood could go into it. 
any trauma you have experienced, you know, like it really is about knowing your full story, right? So if we make it just about mental, just about physical, just about any of these things, we lose it. It's so much more complex than that. Yeah. And also it's so much more unique to you because you yourself listening right here are special and unique and perfect in your way. It's just about figuring out what that thing is for you. What's that a Sesame Street song that, oh, that Barney, I'm sorry. Everybody, <laughs> yes, yes. You know what, my daughter isn't into Barney yet, but like my initial, it's okay. definitely a Sesame Street, Absolutely. right? <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so, so this brings us to, I mean, it doesn't really bring us to the next question, but like we have to keep asking you questions because I just need to hear yeah. what you say. Um, but so here, the next question is, how does sunlight help mental health? I, you know, I want to touch on that one, but I, 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 not to take over, but I actually think this one, take over. Over. It, it leads, no, the, the, the question that was after, like, is a really natural progression from oh, this topic that. was that why can depression make someone overtired and another person hyper alter wide awake? And, um, I, I, this, this question led me down like a fun research wormhole. So I appreciated the chance to, to get to do that. But, um, first of all, I, I think, first, there are so many different types of depression. There's many different, you know, diagnoses or causes of it, but also, and this was news to me, but it shouldn't have been, I suppose that the, it is far more often, you know, um, statistically that people have coexisting anxiety and depression. Um, I, I sent, um, I sent the gals an article that it was called anxiety and depression, two sides of the same coin. And, and why that shouldn't have been a surprise is that the same medications that are prescribed to for to manage anxiety long term are the same ones that are prescribed for depression. The like the SSRIs, like Paxil, you know, Zoloft, things like that. So, and they work on the same areas of the brain. So that should already tell you there's some commonalities here. And you know, if you think about someone with anxiety, they usually are very you know type A personality. Um, neurotic or, you know, very high achieving, very, you know, um, productive in how they deal with things, right? Like, like you were saying earlier, Emily. Um, so that doesn't mean that depression isn't there. Uh, this is where personality, like you were saying, and maybe early life experiences that shape it. So I think determine the, the sort of what we see of someone with depression, because, you know, when you look at the definitions of depression, you get the like lack of interest in things you used to love. Mm-hmm. So that I never, I at least never thought, well, that then I'm not depressed. Cause like I am, look at me, like I'm, you know, I, I'm, I've got a textbook, I'm teaching classes, I'm doing this. Like clearly I'm not lacking interest, but what I didn't realize, like I had this tendency that I would be like, okay, I'm going to get this thing. Or when I get that, then I'll be happy. Yeah. Then I'll feel like, I did it. Like, thinking, man. It, right. In my career, like if I accomplish this thing, then I'm going to get this feeling that I've arrived. Right. Or that I'm finally good enough. And no matter what, all I just kept doing was moving the goal. I kept moving the goal line whenever I would get there, whether it was, you know, I got promoted when I got promoted to associate professor, like that was a year of work. And it was like, I thought that there was going to be this like fiesta breaking out in my head. <laughs> and it was, Honestly, the day I got that, it was like, eh. like, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, I did the work. Like, and no matter what it is, 
or it will be like, well, they probably didn't have, like when I got, I, I, I am an author on a textbook from McGraw Hill and I, I, I did this massive audition, 14 other people, and I was blindly chosen by the main author. And my immediate thought was, well, you know, like he probably didn't have, there probably weren't a lot of other, because before I knew how many people and things like that, it was probably like, yeah, well, there were probably only like a couple other people auditioned. Mm -hmm. Like I just discounted all those successes and positives. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Or even getting my new position at Moravian, it was immediately like, well, there probably weren't a lot of people that know gross anatomy to choose from. Like I always find a way. And it was like, that is depression. Like you can't enjoy anything. Right. I can't enjoy anything. And, and also, you know, being obsessed with work and all that striving, it's not like I was enjoying doing things for fun either, right? right? Like I've had to sit and actively say, okay, I am going to the movies. Like I, I have to schedule fun and I've, I've gotten a lot better at that. Like I don't have guilt around it, but when I was working with my therapist, it would be like my homework was to do something fun just that has no productivity whatsoever other than enjoyment. And I would, I could shake when I first started doing that because it was like the, the, what, what's to come of this? There was no, there was nothing to show for it other than I enjoyed it. But what I never expected was that I actually with working a lot less was more productive because I was fulfilled, I was recharged. So I found that when I gave myself that time to step away from things, I was so much more present and more effective when I was doing my work. Wow. And I, you couldn't have convinced me of that beforehand. Never, never, right. you know? It's almost like you have to really push yourself to, to do things that are really just for you without yeah. the right. expectation of like, I have to yeah. do this some sort of like productive thing in some way. Right. Yeah. So to, t- to tie back to the question, like that is totally shaped out of early life experiences and maybe genetics, you know, because like my, you know, my mother's the same way. Um, and, but like that's exposure, right? So like yeah. I dealt with things by staying in motion because I, if I stop, I'm going to feel it. Right? Right, right. So like staying in motion, but that's what I was modeled. Whereas maybe, maybe, and I'm just going to, you know, this is where you two can certainly say better is if like you grew up in a very, in a much more, um, everybody sort of doing everything for you in a much more like, like you were like, you know, held on a pedestal environment and your parents did everything for you and you always felt mm-hmm. like you had this incredible safety net, maybe you feel more comfortable going straight to that laying on the couch, right. can't move level of depression, you know, that has, will definitely happen with burnout, with anxiety eventually, right? Absolutely, right. So, and then the only yeah. thing I would say is also, if you keep going back between these things, you do want to get a psyche eval to look at possible bipolar. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, please. So, <laughs> so right. it's one thing here that like, yes, like everything Chris is saying is so amazing. And I think there is goes to like, what was modeled for you? What was your experience? What did that look like? I mean, because I had a very similar experience myself where I was like, you know, high achieving, high success, and then hit a point, be like, oh, this is depression. Like, that's what this is. Like, this is not, I'm so fucking great. This is, I refuse to feel anything. Mm. And, you know, I think there is, right, so that really great meme that started going out a few years ago, which is check on your strong friends. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. 
twins during that no i never saw that because you don't yeah yeah it says check on your strong friends because people don't manifest depression (laughs) in the same way and the idea of depression is that like it's someone who can't get out of bed and is in and is crying all the time and a lot some people does for some people it does um, but there's also the people that it isn't, they're trying, you know, trying to avoid those emotions and do other things. Um, and so it's, it, it's okay if it manifests itself in different ways, it's just important to understand how it's manifesting itself for you. Right. Yeah. To, like, really understand that about yourself. Yeah. That really, it's, that it's great that you say that because like, I think another part of being someone that doesn't let themselves, you know, that stays in that motion is that there's this there's this pride in Mm. absolute pride and almost like reverence for keeping it together Mm -hmm. and being like someone that can handle everything. Um, even down, if I, if I just may share a story from, you know, that's been going on the past year. Um, so my, my 36 year old, perfectly healthy, incredible husband, um, was diagnosed and, um, treated for cancer last summer. And it was, it wrecked us because it was out of nowhere, like really no risk factors out of nowhere, you know, within a matter of, you know, diagnosis to weeks later was getting surgery at Jefferson and then spent the summer, um, all of last summer getting, um, high dose daily bilateral head and neck radiation and chemotherapy, not chemo daily, but once a week, but the radiation is daily. And, um, I, you know, and it was a really aggressive form of cancer. It absolutely a couple, if it wasn't caught in a few months could have gone a different way. He's great. He's doing great. You know, we have nothing but hope. He just followed up yesterday, but like I was in the first, you know, two months of that, I think it took me till Christmas to cry because it was like, I've got this. I am made for this, right? You know, we're lining up all his medicines and keeping on top of every symptom and holding it together for him, right? Like just being this pinnacle of strength and then almost looking at it like being an inspiration of strength to other, you know, wives or partners or whoever going through this. And it's like, how it's so funny looking back on that because I'm like, you fool, like you, you were just trying not to melt. I I wasn't letting myself feel it because what would happen? I was so afraid that if I did, I, I would never stop and you know what I mean? And, and fall apart. And then you always play that game with yourself. That is, well, it could be, it could be worse. Like it could have been a worse diagnosis or he could have died or that I could have had, we could have had children to take care of at the same time. Like you play that, like you feel guilty for the fact that you're feeling bad that your, your husband has cancer. Like right. It, it's, right. it's insane. The level that you can tell yourself it's not okay to let yourself fall apart. Absolutely. Um, Oh, but it happened. Like, uh, it- oh yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that happens a lot with, with, you know, caretakers Yes. Um, when you have to be the one to coordinate things, to, um, be the strong one in quotations. Um, yep. you can go to this intellectual part, right? I'll make right. the appointments and I'll do the conversation. Right. I'll pick up the right. medicine. But it, right. but it, of course it's going to hit you when you have more time for yourself, but when the focus is so on this other person, it's easier 
to focus on the intellectual part and push the emotions aside. Because of course, you know, if you're, you're kind of going into survival mode, if you allow your emotions to take over, then it would be hard to accomplish some of those things. So I think a lot of people go into that. That happens with grief a lot too. If someone, if you have someone who is very sick for a long time, um, and that it, it just takes some time to really allow yourself to feel those emotions. Um, well, it's so funny because like recently Jen and I had been asked to give this talk on finding your worth outside of your job mm-hmm. and both of us were like oh, <laughs> yes. we were like oh how do we talk about that I think we were <laughs> like when she asked us for like we said yes to speaking and she was like this is the topic we want we were like uh wait a second like how do we <laughs> teach people that we can't teach ourselves and we're like all right so like here is like now we have to do it right because like our yep. firm belief is like we can't take our clients anywhere that we have not gone ourselves. Yeah. Right. This is where the, this is where the gift of like a tumbleweed comes in for yes. me. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and so like to say to yourself, like, okay, so like, how do I, I can't nothing. It can't just be my job. It can't just be my marriage. It can't just be my role as a mom, you know, whatever those things are, we have to have different things. And one of those things is just pleasure based not about goals. Uh, Krista, last time we had spoken, you were working on this like insane anatomy puzzle. Yeah, I finished them all. I need oh more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wanna... like, it was incredible, but like, right, like something like a puzzle is like, okay, like I'm using different parts of my brain and I'm sitting here and, yeah. I'm, and like, unless you're saying I have to finish this tonight, right, then, then it makes it goal oriented. Right. Just, yeah. Like, I love puzzles. Um, right? just so for everyone listening to save yourself today, what am I going to do just for joy, just for pleasure? Mm-hmm right? No goals associated. I love that. Right. Yeah. I, I just want to say, I think that the irony of being someone that like, like as a caretaker, for example, like, like I said with my husband that like you have it all together and you think you have to stay strong Mm -hmm. is that it's not as helpful for them as you think it is because they it's so what I, what I discovered is that like, the more my husband felt like just totally terrified and overwhelmed, like he couldn't get to the next day because I don't know if any of you have been through with anyone through radiation, but it is so painful and exhausting that like the the effects accumulate uh, or I just accumulate, accumulate. (laughs) So I'm looking at the clouds, you know, (laughs) the only thing I carried from like grade school science types of clouds. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, that like, so by the end, like, if you ever get one of those allergy tests, like where they do like the pinpricks on your back, yeah. like a bunch of times, like the first couple, you're like, this doesn't hurt. But by like the 30th, you're like, stop it, yes. you know? Yes. So it's kind of like that. And, you know, I thought like, God, like I have to hold it together the more. But what was so ironic is that when I finally let myself lose it, he found strength in comforting me. And then it was like, it's okay. I'll be fine. I'll get through it. Yeah. And it was like, so he found the strength he needed for himself when I let him see how hard it was on me too. Wow. So of course you don't want to go the opposite. You like, you, you don't want to be like so distraught all the time that the person who's sick has to spend more time comforting you than right. themselves. Right. But there's a happy medium there. And that's the one thing that we needed as a couple to learn that balance of uh, like, like mediating and moderating the strength and vulnerability for each other and, and between each other. Absolutely. Well, it speaks yeah. to like the dynamic and relationships yeah. in general that like, yeah. 
you know, when one person is struggling, it's, it's, you know, feels like it's on the other one to be the strong one. Um, but that you're able to find that balance, um, between the two, but like, there's some sort of like energy that happens in, in a dynamic where like, if someone is, I forget who gave me this example, but it's like, if there's like a fire, right. And everyone is screaming, right. And panicking that like, your your reaction is to like shut down all your emotions and be the one to like help everyone out that like there's some sort of like energy or dynamic that happens that like if someone's panicking the other person is like okay I have to be the strong one right and so it like it sounds like it almost like you know when you were able to really feel the emotions attached to it 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 allowed your husband to be the strong one and and really stand up and say I'm here for you um and so it's, it's actually very important to find that balance in relationships yeah, because to always be on one side of it wears you down. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But, Either way. Yeah. So we can go all day about that one. So absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we're going to take us into a, a whole get, other We have tangent. to give Krista one more, one more question. Okay. Well, I could touch on the last okay. two because these are, these are low hanging fruit. Yeah. Okay, um, <laughs> you know, so that the, when you were mentioning about how sunlight helps mental health, I mean, the two quick answers are there is, you know, research, though it's, it's definitely murky, that um, sunlight stimulates production of serotonin. And serotonin, we know, is the drug that all these, the medications for depression and anxiety are usually targeting. Mm-hmm. And what, what those medications will do is block the receptors in your brain that like, like take it up and suck it up and break it down. So essentially it means that more serotonin is floating around readily available in your brain. So therefore, if sunlight helps the production of it, you know, that that's the thought behind it, right? That, and also um, there's associations though that again, they're very unclear between vitamin D deficiency and depression. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows that, you know, by sunlight helps, or at least hope, hopefully sunlight helps to, um, is like a key process in the natural synthesis of vitamin D in your body. So you can take it from your, in your diet, but it's um, UV exposure starts the process of your body producing it endogenously, which is a fancy word for naturally. (laughs) Right. Um, So, but again, it's, it's, this is an unclear relationship because, you know, maybe people with depression are not going outside much, right. Or not taking good or, or not having good nutrition. So their vitamin D is low right? Or is, you know, that we know that there's vitamin D receptors in the brain. And um, so is it that lack of vitamin D is creating depression? You know, so, but overwhelmingly, there's anecdotal evidence that, you know, vitamin D supplementation is not harmful, and in some cases beneficial, you know, at least as a, you know, add in for depression symptoms. So whether that's complete placebo, I don't care. Right. If it works, yeah, placebo works. still works. <laughs> right. You can't yeah. <laughs> right. The other thing about sunlight, though, is like, think about, you can't ignore the associations, whether it's memory or just the things that happen when it's sunny and warm outside. You're usually more active. There's more social stuff going on. Right. You know, there's fresh air. You have memories of being a kid and playing and this and that. So, you know, th- I think there's also that to acknowledge as well um, that that might be at play. But, you know, it's, it's very clear that, you know, as long as it's not too much to end up with, you know, skin cancer or things like that, <laughs> um, that sunlight clearly has a very positive impact on our, on our physiology. Do you feel so, that sun lamps um, have the same sort of 
impact. Yeah, I was looking at some research on that and it, there were there was some, you know, evidence that it it does help depression symptoms. Um, not as much as natural sunlight. Um, and again, that might be, first of all, the effect might be placebo. Again, right. I don't care. Don't placebo work. is real, yes. right? If, because placebo effects are usually the paras, not to tie back to the first question, but I do it. the parasympathetic nervous system being more toned and strengthened. Yeah. So great, right? Um, less stress, essentially. Um, but also those associations, right? So if you're outside and you're physically active, like we know that exercise helps, you know, boost mood. Um, we're made to move. We are not meant to sit like as human beings, like we could walk forever yes. because we're, it hurts. It's physically painful to sit and stand in place for prolonged periods of time for a reason. Our bodies aren't made to do it, you know? So, um, being more active, you know, while you get that sunlight, you can't discount that. Or like I said, the social stuff or everything. So, um, it, it certainly can't hurt. Right. Absolutely. And it, it, <laughs> yeah. I mean, anything that, I mean, like, is he even like to say to yourself, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be present and I'm going to be mindful. Right. Right. And like journal in front of it. That also. Or do something for yeah. yourself. Like the act of I'm doing, I'm buying this lamp, right. Uh, or this essential oil to take care of myself. That's Absolutely. effective in and of itself. You've made a positive step. Absolutely. And you're, you're saying to yourself, I am making this choice to take care of myself. Right. That, like it's, it's like a very conscious decision. Right. Um, Okay. And so let's go right. on to the final question because like, like I could once again, could talk to you for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> we could, we can. <laughs> just, well, not, that's just the longest that. podcast of all time. Yeah. You have to promise that we can take you out to dinner at some point Please. after this is all done. Um, you have been phenomenal and so helpful. I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. Yes. Um, and so, so just to quick touch on the final question. Yeah. <laughs> How to treat your body during, I assume that time of the month means, you can say your period. Whoever wrote this in, right. let's, like it's, it's 2020. Okay. Yeah, it's 2020. <laughs> period, let's remove menstrual cycle, even if your goddamn aunt Flo is in town. I you know. Flo. Aunt Flo might be worse. Yeah, yeah I think that probably is. <laughs> let's remember that there are theories that the literal calendars were created based on women. So yeah. <laughs> 28, like we can, we can claim our periods and stop right, being ashamed. <laughs> um, the, no, there is nothing like whatever makes you feel good. So yeah. if you're talking about, but if you're talking about like avoiding feeling a little bit tired and sluggish, like your hormones are going nuts, that's unavoidable. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, it can help to focus on iron rich foods because any amount of blood loss can, you know, slightly lower your hemoglobin levels. You know, every time I go to donate blood, you know, like it's, it's always, I always get rejected when I'm on my period. It's right. never going to stop. Um, but like avoiding, and then you're also losing some fluids. So, you know, trying to minimize diuretics like caffeine and alcohol, um, you know, keep your fluids up, iron rich foods. But other than that, like there's very little evidence for foods that help to mitigate cramping, like keeping good electrolytes, like calcium, magnesium, things like that, maybe, but just follow a normal balanced diet. 
right? Whatever that means for you. I don't even want to begin to prescribe or, or speak to that because the last thing I want to do is tell anyone what to eat ever. You know what I mean? Like I had a stressful morning yesterday and had a, for, for whatever reason, um, 7-Eleven was like giving away mini donuts when you got coffee. And oh I'm like, God. I'm not going to say no to that. Yeah, no. And it was just like, you know, like, honestly, like I just had like a, a stressful and I, I just popped a mini donut and it was like, <laughs> that's exactly the best decision I could have made. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. But other days it's like, God, I need a big plate of vegetables. Yeah. Like you just, it takes, you just got to listen to your, your, your body, wow. you know? Um, but like, ultimately, no, there's, there's no evidence for, you know, like assuming your goal isn't, you know, pregnancy. And even that is just a giant wormhole of anecdotal, you know, like experts on the internet. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. So keep fluid, keep hydrated, focus on iron. Whereas, you know, I, Natalie Lociavo can listen to this and tell me, I'm yes, right, yes. You know, um, for anything else. Yeah. No, awesome. nothing doing. Amazing. <laughs> Krista, you have been unbelievable. Unreal. Jen, <laughs> never stop talking about this. Jen will now be stalking <laughs> outside your house. So how, how can, if, <laughs> how can I stalk you on Twitter? Everyone find you. Oh, but mainly me, Twitter, yeah. whatever. Give us. I yeah, you get to see all my anatomy stuff. So um, I am on Twitter at Krista Rumpolski, um, as Polish as it sounds. They'll spell that out for you. Yes. Um, and then um, we'll have I have all of our social media, everyone. Yeah. And then I have an Instagram, um, Anat with me. It's just A N A T W I T H M E. I started it as a social media engagement with my A and P classes, and gradually as I as I like transitioned out of that class like it became more like cat pictures and yes. funny stuff but um it all transitioned back to helping you know my students and things like that so you will see a fair amount of anatomy and you know you'd also see my my in, my husband's entire journey last summer um wow. you know uh what's the word for that chronolog no that's not a verb uh chronologued chronologically Blah. it's it's there you get yeah it's there you get to, <laughs> um, yeah i'll, I'll find what? it later be embarrassed so <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us this was We're so incredibly helpful fans. truly we are fangirls so yeah thank you and i can't well, wait to know. hang out soon please, please you're welcome back anytime krista everyone thank you for being here um next week's episode um emily nagowski will be joining us uh, uh the author of burnout and come as you are um but for this week krista thank you for being here thank everyone you so much yourselves. absolutely thank you too